Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Eunice Byun, co-founder and CEO of Material, the go-to destination for today's home cooks. Since launching in 2018, Material has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, Oprah's Favorite Things, and GQ's Best Stuff of the Year. Eunice started her career at Goldman Sachs, has helped launch and advise several startups in the consumer space, and was most recently head of digital at Revlon. In this episode, Eunice shares all about her entrepreneurial journey with Material, including her learnings from her earlier career in the intimate apparel and beauty space. We talk about taking risks, being fearless and opening yourself up to opportunity, the importance of creating a product that has a true need and point of difference, sustainability in the kitchen, where she draws inspiration for the brand today, and the essentials we all need in the kitchen. I'm absolutely loving my material products. If you want to try them yourself, use code PURELYELIZABETH for 20% off at materialkitchen.com. Enjoy the show. If you haven't had the chance to try our grain-free granolas yet, Head on over to Walmart to now find them in the gluten-free, healthy living aisle in select Walmart locations. Our grain-free granolas have crunchy clusters of nuts, superfood seeds, and creamy nut butters, all baked with organic coconut oil and sweetened with coconut sugar. They are gluten-free, paleo, and keto certified. Use the link in the notes section to find Purely Elizabeth products at a Walmart store near you. Eunice, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on today and hear all about your story. Thank you so much for having me. So we always start with your journey. And for you, you really had quite a variety of a background before launching Material Kitchen. So I'd love to kind of dive into all of those career steps along the way that ultimately led to Material Kitchen and just kind of take us back. What was your first job out of college? Well, my first job out of college was in finance. I worked at Goldman Sachs and I definitely was one of those students who knew, had just no clue about what I wanted to do. I was like, well, I should just probably try something. And finance seemed to be a really common thing that people went into um, at Northwestern. And I just gave it a whirl. And I think along the way, I just realized I've never been one to fall in love with like a subject or an industry. I think for me, it was always about just a feeling and that feeling was curiosity. So wherever I went, um, I think the second that I felt like it wasn't as interesting or I wasn't learning as much, um, it was almost like another door would open and I would just walk through it. So I love that. Yeah. I've had a very... Very uh, odd twists and turns through my career. (laughs) Were you always curious like that as a child or was that something you identified later on in your life? I think I was always curious as a a kid. I mean, I was the youngest um, on both my mom's side and my dad's side. So I had a ton of older cousins. I had an older sister. And yeah, I was just always that young girl asking probably way too many questions and (laughs) coming up with her own ideas. But yeah, it was a bit of a sponge too. I just always loved learning about things and it could be, again, any subject matter, but I just found it all so fascinating and so interesting, but I was never a 
like a master of one. I wanted to know a little bit about everything. I love the idea of following those holes that are bringing you curiosity. And like, as you said, opening the door and walking through, which I think is such a wonderful way to live your life. But for a lot of people, they stop at the door with fear. So yeah. Can you identify something early on that allowed you to have kind of be fearless and go after that curiosity? Or is that something that's kind of shifted? It's actually a really interesting question. I never thought about maybe what inspired it. And as you were asking the question, I think where my my mind went immediately um, was just being the children of, of immigrant parents, quite honestly, because I think there's this feeling that you have at a young age of kind of being caught in between two places um, because, you know, my parents immigrated from Korea. Um, I grew up in San Diego, California. And I think there was almost always this sense of trying to figure out where I fit in and trying to figure out, you know, more about my identity. And I think because of that, you try on a lot of identities and you try and explore like, who am I? Like, am I, am I Korean? Am I American? What does that mean? What does it mean to be both? And so I think a lot of it was, yeah, just trying to see what felt right. And I think because of that, it was easy for me to try on different things because I didn't feel rooted in that moment in just one one part of my identity. I think there was just a lot of exploration that was happening at a young age. That's so interesting. And it certainly has served you really well. So as you got out of finance and between then and starting material kitchen, what were some of those moments of career that like really drew you in and where you got inspiration and ultimately that really helped navigate to where you are today? Yeah, I think I collected so much along the way. And, and that's why I love that it wasn't a linear path. It was full of twists and turns in lots of different industries Especially for anyone listening who's graduating, <laughs> who is nervous that they don't know what they want to do, like totally okay to have so many different paths. Yeah. And I actually love that. I think it's not celebrated enough. I think people should try on all these different things because again, I've, I've collected so many learnings from each job, even though they're in such disparate industries. And so I went from finance into intimate apparel. I mean, what an odd jump from, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal to then thinking about every single thing about undergarments. And it was at Maiden Form. And I think what I loved about that role was I was brought on to kind of help incubate new ideas. And so for me, as someone who never could pinpoint that I had an entrepreneurial spirit, it was almost like incubating new businesses with a big safety net underneath because I didn't have to think about fundraising or I didn't have to think about all the, I mean, just so many struggles of being an entrepreneur. I was able to do it within the confines of like this amazing American heritage, American heritage brand. Um, so I was there for five years and got to experience a lot um, just knowing even about like what merchandising is or what is a good supply chain look like, or even look at a PL. I mean, those were all such valuable things I think that I draw upon a lot now today at Material. And then from there, I jumped into the startup scene here in New York pretty early on and got my feet wet and never necessarily thought I myself would be a founder, but I just loved the idea of being in the same room with people who thought expansively and thought bigger and 
if something didn't exist, they wanted to create it. And so I think that rubbed off on me a lot. And then I had my first daughter and there was a real life moment of, Ooh, like, I don't know if I can stay in this world right now because it felt at the time, honestly, it felt really unsupportive of being a mother of a young child. And there was this, I think a little bit of this mentality of like you drink the Kool-Aid and you have to, you know, spend 24 seven with your startup. It was almost kind of like a fraternity sorority scene, right? Of like, you have to be there all the time wearing the hats that have your startup name on it. (laughs) It was just like a lot. And so I took some time and I just started freelancing a little bit. And I think that's where I felt a little bit more confident in my own ability to chart my own path. And then I got a call to to go actually jump back into corporate America as the head of digital for Revlon in the beauty space. And I thought, hmm, if there's ever a chance for me to go learn about um, kind of storytelling, everything that's happening in the beauty space with digital being like the most exciting space to be in at that point in time, I was like, this was a great time for, for me to get my feet wet and explore a category that people are so passionate about. Because quite honestly, right before I took the job, uh, my co-founder Dave and I had started talking about material. And so yeah. I was like, gosh, it would be so cool to go. And, and again, just learn about like this stickiness factor that was happening in the beauty space at that time and figure out how does that get parlayed a little bit into the home cooking space. So it all fit together, but it was like all these disparate puzzle pieces that felt like they ultimately needed to come together in order to create what ultimately became material. I love that. What an amazing journey that you had on your way to starting. What in the Revlon beauty space really maybe surprised you or was like one of your biggest takeaways that you took into launching material? Because there, I feel like that so much, even with food, that there's so much to look at in beauty, whether it's packaging, whether yep. it's communication, but would love to hear. Yeah, I think it was just um, the power of the voice of of one individual, right? And, and, and that's something that I think really changed um, how marketing works because for so long it was a brand kind of talking to one big segment of customers. And when digital and when all these individual voices started to arise, it was no, each brand needs to figure out how to speak to many different voices and to engage with them on a more intimate personal level. And I think, gosh, you saw that so much in the beauty space early on where someone could just start talking about opening up their beauty cabinet and, you know, starting to name all the things that they loved in their beauty cabinet. And all of a sudden that person became someone that you wanted to hear from and listen to because they were talking so much more personally. It wasn't a script. It wasn't something that someone had told them, you know, these are the four points that you need to say. And I think that created such personal attachment within the beauty world. And that was something we were really craving in the home cooking space was just this idea that people could be connected to the things and the objects in their home. And so we drew up, honestly, a lot from the beauty world and just relying on voices and experiences to really be our mouthpiece versus a kind of standard marketing campaign. All right. So let's get into what drew you into creating Material Kitchen and getting into home cooking. And have you always been really into cooking, first of all? I have. And it's funny because I thought it was normal stuff that I did when I was younger. (laughs) And now when I talk to people, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so not normal. Like I was probably 10 or 11 when I would come home from school and 
I, I remember cooking myself full on snacks. Like it could be for some reason I had a artichoke phase where I was really into steaming artichokes and coming oh up God. with different um, dips for it, which is bizarre, but it was prepping artichokes and learning kind of what to do with it. Or um, uh, I would come home and make like Japanese yakisoba and I would chop all the vegetables and I would saute it all. But again, totally not normal for a 10 or 11 year old. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. But I loved it. And I don't think it was until I had my first daughter where my husband and I talked about it a lot. We're like, well, we used to go out to all these restaurants in the city. And then at some point you're like, oh no, I'm not going out as much. And I start, I need to start cooking more at home. And I think there was a realization of, I didn't feel inspired by a lot of the things in my kitchen and my co-founder Dave and I. How did you know one another? uh, Just New York. I mean, I feel like Mm -hmm. we had a mute, everyone has like a mutual friend in New York and you just meet and uh, we became fast friends because he was in fashion and we just loved food and we loved design and just started hanging out. And um, really, I think talking about a lot of inspired things together. And I think that's ultimately what brought us together to to, to really found material. But it was just this feeling of, I, I wish there was more in the kitchen. You know, I, I wish I didn't have so many things from my registry that I don't actually like. And by the way, who's telling me that these are the things that I should have in my kitchen, <laughs> right? And why, why do I have them? And I think also just wanting more, wanting more quality, wanting more thoughtfulness. I just, I hated how much uh, almost like built-in replenishment there was in the category because I would look down at my stuff and be like, I, th- I bought that like a year ago and it it looks terrible now. Like why doesn't it actually stand up and what, why am I always feeling like either it has to look bad or I have to go replace it? So I think it was this sense of my needs just weren't being met by the kind of traditional kitchenware industry that had been doing things the same way for such a long time. And I think recognizing there are so many other people like me that were getting into home cooking and being like, I don't need as much, I, you know, and actually I want more from a sustainability perspective. I want more uh, inspiration in just the way that the designs look in my own space. So yeah, that was kind of where we got started. And it was about five years ago. Cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got started as I think about being a food brand, not that it's easy, but certainly easier that you could make a couple of whatever your product is, you can sample it at an event, you can, you know, easily give out a mix or a cookie or this or that. You're not whipping up a knife in your, (laughs) your kitchen and giving that out. So what were, what were those early days? Like, oh gosh, um, it was a lot of trying to get people to honestly like visualize or think about, um, some of the objects we were designing. It was a lot of, what was the first product or first couple? Yeah. Our first product was a collection called the fundamentals. And it was really thinking about, the tools that home cooks reach for every day, um, for every meal. And a lot of it was about education. So you don't need eight knives. You really need two to three, a big one, a small one, probably a serrated one. Um, and it was just an edit. It was like a really simple edit of some of the, the, the most reached for tools in the kitchen. And I remember in the beginning, it was taking around almost like designs and drawings and getting people excited by the brand and just the the values, the vision for it. And then at some point I was like a traveling salesperson. I mean, I had a bag full of sharp objects and tools. And <laughs> my favorite thing was just whipping them out and being like, Hey, so like play with the tongs, look at the hidden gravity locking mechanism. Like, isn't that such a great feature? Or, you know, look at 
the knives and let me tell you about what makes a high quality knife and let me walk you through the balance. And so there was a demonstration element, but to your point, you know, the best thing that we could do was almost give people samples and say, actually go home and try it and just start chopping with it or start cooking with it and and just let us know what you think. So it was a form of a demo, but it took us probably a lot longer to get there because we actually had to design the entirety of the product and then, you know, make tweaks based on some of the feedback that we were getting. And how hard is it to, in the beginning, was it to A, do the product design and was that you guys or you had someone externally and then B, find a partner to manufacture the product. Yeah. I I think some of the stuff that happened early on was super kismet. Like we had just- As happened. it always is. I know, right? Because, <laughs> and um, again, I just think it goes back to opening yourself up to opportunity, right? And yeah. so we went to a trade show and ended up meeting someone who had two decades worth of experience in kitchenware, manufacturing and sourcing. And he loved- what we were thinking about and doing. And so he came on as one of our first investors. So he really helped us get to partners that would never, ever, ever work with a new company. You know, they were working for some really high-end, you know, massive brands and they took a chance on us because he came in and invested in us from the very beginning. And then design-wise, we always felt like design was something we wanted to own. I think that's a uniqueness in that, we didn't feel like going to a design agency was going to be the best thing because we're kind of obsessive about design and in terms of every single component, you know, we, we obsess over one MM and we change things up and we archive things because we're like, it's not quite there yet. And so we worked early on with an individual, an industrial designer, and then ultimately our very first hire was an industrial designer. And we continue to this day to do everything in-house because it allows us to think about things longitudinally as opposed to it's a project with a start and a finish. We're able to iterate, like I said, put things back on the on the shelf, bring it back when we might have a different material we can work with or we're inspired by something else. So it's a much more iterative process because I think we do everything in-house ourselves. What was the amount of time that it took from concept to actually launching? Yeah. And did you have a business plan? Sort of, kind of. <laughs> um, you know, we, I remember I was still working full time and my business partner had just resigned from his job and I had summer Fridays and I took it as a great time to take meetings. And we ended up getting a term sheet before we launched and found some amazing investors. And they were like, you got to quit your job now. Like, you're, you're, you got to work on this full time. <laughs> this is real. Yeah. Um, and I think that was in late August. Uh, and then we officially launched in March of 2018. So um, it did take us a while, you know, but it, it it took us a while, I think, to iterate on the product. You know, the lead time for hard goods is, is obviously a lot longer, but it was also establishing quality standards and making sure, I mean, we had everything inspected piece by piece and it was probably the most arduous process that a small company could have asked for, but we knew really early on that standards really mattered to us and that we wanted to deliver a high quality experience. So yeah, it took us quite some time. And, you know, here we are five years later and we've expanded into cookware and into ceramics and glassware, but the values and the way in which we've approached the business, I mean, it truly has not changed since day one. 
I love that. I think so often really starting so thoughtfully and coming up with those values is so critical and you can pivot and have different products, but at the core, keeping that essence is so important. Yeah, it is. And and I know it, it seems like it's like business talk when someone is like, take a sheet of paper down and write down what matters to you from day one. But I mean, it has served as the North Star to us and as our team has grown and, you know, quite honestly, we've grown really measuredly. We are a small but mighty team, but we've done so because we believe that hiring against a value system matters because each additional person needs to be carrying on the value and the vision, maybe slightly differently. Um, And that's what I love is everyone does kind of embody or personify it a little bit differently, but at the core, there's something that we all share and we wouldn't have been able to even build a team unless we had that sheet of paper where we said, these are the things that matter. And these are the things that we hope will always matter and be so intertwined with the company from day one. Yeah. I I will say 14 years later into the business for me, it's still incredible to look back and say like, this is what I set up at the beginning and to have that on your journey for the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to be such an important North Star, as you said. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Since the beginning, Purely Elizabeth has been committed to the healing power of food. We believe there's a direct connection between the health of our farms and soil and the health of our food. That is why I'm so excited to announce our newest product launching. Our number one selling original ancient grain granola is now available in an 18-ounce value size made with regenerative organic certified coconut oil and coconut sugar. For those who are not familiar with regenerative agriculture, it focuses on improving soil health, which is known to help improve crop yields, biodiversity, carbon emissions, and water conservation. You can find our value size at your local Whole Foods market or on our website at purelyelizabeth.com. If you're interested in learning more about our sustainability journey and how it impacts the delicious food you enjoy, please visit purelyelizabeth.com journey. Enjoy. So as you think about what those values are, can you talk a little bit about guardrails as you think about product and mission and really what you guys are doing so beautifully and differently in the marketplace? Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think for us, one of the most important things that we think about in the design process is, does this need to exist? Right. And I think sometimes when you're in creative or just a a design oriented mindset, you kind of want to believe that everything should exist and that there's a reason for being. And, you know, so many times we come back to, but is this better than what's out there? Are we improving upon what's out there? And that's kind of a hard thing to do in the kitchen where so many things have been around for a long time. And, you know, you think about how do you improve upon a wood spoon? And for us, it was the choice of the materials, you know, the choice of the actual design of the spoon, how to make it versatile so that left-handed and right-handed people could use it, but you could still, you know, scrape into those little corners. I mean, we think about every single detail, but it has to ultimately be better or more meaningful than what's out there today. And that's why, you know, we pulled back from certain categories and we exhibit restraint because we're like, we don't quite know what we would do differently there yet. So I think that's, that's helped us um, as a core guardrail. 
Yeah, never making a me too product, which is so critical. Correct. Correct. And sometimes it's even, you know, customers ask us all the time, they'll say, will you make this or redesign that? And and we we kind of file it away because what they say absolutely matters, but we just need to find the right moment and the right design and the right inspiration to bring something to market. And I'd say the other really important design quality for us is, will this stand the test of time? Will it actually be long lasting? Because I think a lot of times what people tend to maybe forget sometimes is when things don't last a while, you're actually creating a lot of waste in that process because now you have something that's not as functional and you either have to recycle it or you dispose of it. You have to go buy a new one. And you know if you rinse and repeat that over and over again on an annual basis, you've just created unknowingly like a lot of waste in that process. And for us, it meant thinking about, well, what materials age well over time? Wood is a great example. It develops a patina. It's something that develops a really nice finish over time, or it could be the way that we think about um, our cookware. It has a copper core because copper core really is kind of the best material to cook with, but it can be finicky. So we thought about how do we give you the benefits of copper without actually the upkeep of copper. And so all those design design decisions that we consider are really meant to um, create something that can stay in your home for a while and that will will really perform over a long period of time. That's beautiful. So as you think about materials lasting, how else do you think about sustainability and just any other like sustainability tips in our kitchen? Because another yeah. thought comes to mind of like, okay, you get all this great new stuff from you as an example. And then what do you do with what you have in your kitchen before and kind of the best way to think about recycling, reusing, et cetera. So we have shared with our community before different ways to think about recycling. And there are, of course, some safety components here because of the food prep that's happening. So if, you know, you do have something where maybe the finish on it is peeling, you know, you might just have to dispose of that. Or if it's something that you can pass along, there are different programs for recycling that we've pointed our, um, that we've pointed our community to. Sometimes for us, it's about also sourcing new sustainable materials. So a good example of that is anything in our prep work category. It's made of 75% recycled plastic, 25% renewable sugarcane. And that for us was just recognizing, you know, home cooks. Sometimes we just want to be able to sanitize something and throw that into, you know, hot water, um, throw it into the dishwasher, you know, something that is plastic. And, and the thought of having virgin plastic in the kitchen was not appealing to us. So we spent a long time trying to source a new material that could act and feel like plastic, but not necessarily have the same sourcing struggles as as new plastic. That was very refreshing for me getting your cutting board, oh, I have to say, because I'd been using a wooden cut cutting board and I was like, oh, so happy just to have a board that I can throw in the dishwasher. Yes, for sure. And again, you know, we're not professional cooks. We don't, we talk about this a lot. We don't have a full staff in the kitchen. I mean, I when I cook, I'm trying to think about how do I minimize the number of pots and pans and the, the cleanup afterwards, right? Like you just get really efficient in the kitchen. And that's why we cook or we design, I'd say, with home cooks in mind, because our needs are going to be really different than a professional kitchen. But yeah, we've we've really just thought about sustainability in terms of how do you have things lost a long time and almost get better over time? And then how can you 
maybe innovate and be different in terms of the the actual raw materials that are being used. When you think about new product or just in general, I guess, with the business after five years, because it's obviously wonderful, but then exhausting at the same time, how do you stay inspired? Mm. And whether that means inspired, just showing up at work and being your best or inspired from a product design perspective? You know, I think when you're doing something genuinely that you love, that inspiration, it's like the well runs really deep because it doesn't take much for me to be inspired. Like I joke, sometimes I look at my daughter's, their play kitchen and it'll, it'll like spark something in me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that from a design perspective. So it could be something as mundane as that or the team. I mean, I cannot say enough about how amazing and incredible our team is. And, you know, we just hired our eighth person. And again, just, it's such an incredibly high performing team and they inspire me daily because of what they bring to not only the work that they do, but just to the environment being really supportive individuals, you know, respectful individuals, professional individuals, like they show up and they know that we're here to work, but we also believe in the mission of what we're trying to do, which is just connect people, right? That at the end of the day, we want to connect people, whether it's to the act of cooking, the act of hosting, the act of entertaining. I mean, all those things are just about the power of the kitchen and its ability to connect. And the team does such an incredible job of just inspiring me on a daily basis to to want to do more to deliver that mission. I love that. As you talk about the power of the kitchen and the those moments, I'd love to hear from you some of your favorite kitchen moments and any tips that you have for getting your kids in the kitchen with you. Oh, yes. Well, let's start with the kids because I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old and they love, love, love all things in the kitchen. And I think for us, it's just finding those tasks that they can do. So they're really into right now salting and seasoning something because I think they love the the tactileness of picking up a spice in their fingers and sprinkling it over and then tasting it. So whenever we're making breakfast in the morning, like even today, my three-year-old, she was salting the avocado and she just, she loves it. She thinks it's Mm -hmm. so much fun. Um, a lot of the times it's whisking. Like we actually designed last year, uh, because of some of the interactions with my girls, a mini whisk and a mini spatula because kids love mixing. And so the idea of them just being there, having their own tools that gives them the confidence in the kitchen, that was something that we designed in the girls. They love it. Any, anything they can mix, they will mix for us. And then just in terms of, you know, for home cooks, you know, I always say, simplicity is the most beautiful thing. So kind of knowing what's in season and cooking in a way that allows the flavor of the underlying ingredients to shine through, like that's the most important thing because you actually don't need much. Like you could just roast vegetables, but if it's something that's in season, then that is going to be so flavorful. And maybe it needs a little bit of olive oil or a little bit of salt or pepper, but Kind of keeping things simple, I think is really important because it doesn't have to be extravagant. We, you know, cooking can be frying an egg in the morning. It doesn't have to be this Michelin star meal that you're whipping up. And I think when you think that simply, it actually gives you the confidence to know that you are a home cook and that, you know, you, you can, you can do wonderful things in the kitchen yourself. 
Yeah. And certainly right now in the summertime, there's not a better time to go and go to your farmer's market and get those fresh ingredients that to your point, you just need a little salt and olive oil and beyond delicious. Absolutely. So walk us through a a day in the life for you. Do you have any, a morning routine, a night routine, what things do you do in your day to feel your best? Yeah. Well, my morning starts pretty early because the girls need to get off to school. And so uh, I'm sure any parent or any caregiver can just relate to having to go, go, go from the minute that you wake up. But I think for me, I always, always make time to make a a real breakfast. Like I'm not just grabbing things on the go and it's one of my favorite meals. What do you make? Oh gosh. Uh, Right now I'm really into like a sourdough avocado toast with like a chili fried egg on top. And yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about sourdough in the morning and how it's actually really good for you to have and um, avocado high fat. Are you making your sourdough or where are you getting? No, no, I wish I wish I know. I never really got into the whole bread baking thing during the pandemic, but I leave it to the professionals And yeah, I, I just, I love anything with flavor in the morning, but also some, some substance, um, because I know it's going to be a a bit of a crazy day from there. And then, yeah, it's a lot of stuff that's happening in the office. By the time I get home, you know, the girls are kind of getting ready for bed and, um, I try my best to always put them to bed and we, we do the whole bedtime routine. And then at night, it's usually my husband and myself cooking something for dinner, taking a little bit of time, just the two of us. And then really it's, it's probably listening to either a podcast, watching a show. Um, you know, I love skincare. It's still something that, uh, I think between being in the beauty industry and, be- and being Korean, like you a full on nighttime skincare routine. All right, that's your whole must. night. That's your, the whole skincare routine. <laughs> oh my gosh. It depends on the day, but it's always, you know, I have a great exfoliant that I love. What's the exfoliant? You tell us, tell us all the details. Oh, so it's one, um, she founded rescue spa in New York and I think in Philadelphia and it starts the D Danny Sarah, I think is the brand. And it's just this amazing everyday kind of chemical exfoliant, but it's, it's wonderful. I love it. And then I'll use probably some type of caudalet, like toner serum combination. I'm a huge believer in gua sha. So I'll put on some type of oil or moisturizer, use a gua sha. Do you do it every night with gua sha? I do it for sure every night and most mornings in all honesty. I just think that the product absorbs so much better when you're also spending time kind of like working it and coaxing it into the skin. And yeah, obviously daytime mornings, sunscreen, an absolute must. So yeah, I'm very into the whole skincare thing, but some nights it's also putting like a sheet mask on. I've got the whole like eye patch thing. I mean, the whole shebang. I (laughs) I have it in my, (laughs) in my bathroom. Well, it's also not only is like great for your skin and feels good, but I also feel like it's taking the time for yourself to have a moment of stillness and reflection or or just being present. So it's a nice routine. Yeah, for sure. I know it's like that moment of doing something for me that feels really good. And the next morning then I'm like, oh, wow, hey, that looks pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) A benefit too. Yeah. Anything else that you do to take care of yourself and just take care of yourself being a, a entrepreneur in this crazy world that we're in? 
Yeah. I think the most important thing is giving myself time in my schedule to to sleep. I know that's like such a simple thing, but so many people don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like sleep, I know really matters because not only does it give me the energy, but I think it's so much better for like mental health and just giving my body and uh, mind just some time to, to rest. I think the other thing is really having a great support system around. And I think it's something, you know, you hear entrepreneurs talk a lot about just the the stress and the mental fatigue of, of having a business and, you know, building something and building a team. And I'm so lucky to have a couple of great founders who are on this journey together with me. And, you know, we can just talk about, oh my gosh, this was such a stressful moment, or I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. Have you ever experienced it? And I think having that support system has been so important because, people are in the same shoes that I'm in and walking the same walk. And that's been so immensely helpful being able to process what's happening with someone else. So I'd say those are just some things that, that really keep me in a good, good place as I've been building out this company. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. I think having other founder friends has been such an instrumental part of my journey and like you can have a mentor who's been there, but having someone who's going through it at the same time just feels yeah. really different and special. Absolutely. How has it been for you having a co-founder and any tips yeah. on navigating co-founder relationships? It's been, again, like an absolute must for me in particular, because Dave, you know, he's been a longtime friend. He's also so complimentary in every which way to um, my strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, the things that I dread doing, I drag my feet, like he enjoys doing and vice Perfect. versa. And I think, yeah, that works out so nicely. But it's also, again, being able to bounce ideas off of someone else and and really have a partner in this where we can brainstorm and and hash things out and really figure out like what's the best course and what's the best step forward. And I'd say the hallmark of our founder relationship has been honesty and transparency. And that's because we came into this as friends. Like we had a built a really strong foundation before where, you know, if I'm upset about something that happened, like I will say, Hey, like, this is how I was feeling. What could we do differently next time? How can I maybe approach it differently or vice versa? And so I think, you know, you hear about all these crazy founder breakups and I feel like a lot of it was just a breakdown in communication. And then it just, it's a monster that feeds upon itself. And so we committed really early on when we first started, like the most important thing that we can do is just be fully transparent with one another and be honest and we'll be able to figure it out. And, you know, the past five years have, have really been just that. Well, I think that's a great tip for a co-founder or frankly, any relationship that, yeah. that you're in. And the reality is that, you know, you're with your co-founder or even just colleagues in the office more than anybody else in your life. I mean, you are yeah. spending so many of those dedicated hours that those relationships I think are just so unique and need to be nurtured in such a, yeah. a big way that um, you, you don't want to forget that. Yeah. And part of it is also having those fun moments too. And I think for us, it was trying to find moments where we could just be friends again too, right? Because so much becomes all about the company and business. And 
we started playing tennis together and we started just trying to figure out how do we, how do we grab lunch together again and not talk about business stuff, but just talk about life. And I think being able to find that balance again was really important for us to kind of mature into this next phase as, as founders together. That's so nice. I love that. As you think about your day and balancing work and your kids and tennis and whatever other fun things you like to do, any good tips on like productivity hacks or Mm. systems that you use, things like that? I feel like my brain is always prioritizing. So I'm trying to think about like, what are the actual things that I do? I'm sure so many people are like this. I use my notes app like crazy and I really segmented. I have a material list, I have a personal list, and then that's segmented down even further. And I think just being able to get things from my brain onto, you know, a piece of paper, whether it's digital or not is really important because then it's just out of my head. And then I think for me, it's really giving myself time and space on my calendar. So I will block things out if I know that I have to write something, which I love doing. It just takes me a lot longer to do. I'll give a block out time and I'll do it first thing in the morning when I know my brain is kind of the freshest and sharpest. But also, you know, I block out time for the girls and when I want to be there for special activities or events or, you know, show up for them in certain ways. Um, So I think it's kind of being protective of the time that I have and making sure that it's known and it's on my calendar, which is visible for every team member to see. And then, yeah, just kind of, I think again, when you're a mother or parent and you're also an entrepreneur, you just learn to be wildly efficient. That's all I can say. (laughs) It's you just have to prioritize and you have to choose where is your time best spent? Because you're just, you're never going to get through that whole list. And I think also, I love how you said like writing in the morning when you know your mind is fresh. And so whatever that means for somebody, whether fresh is in the morning or at night, but getting like really clear on when that time is for you to thrive and get the things done that you always like don't want to do, but that's sitting on your to-do list. Like that's the time to get it done and do. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just knowing your own internal like rhythms, right? And figuring out when when am I at my best and when do I need to just also give myself a break, right? Because I know doing something Friday afternoon for me, I mean, I know for so many people, it's such a hard time for me. It's excruciatingly hard because I'm like, wow, I just, <laughs> the kids went through full week of school. You know, we finally got into the weekends. Oh my gosh, I have to think about all the things happening on the weekends. So I can't schedule anything Friday afternoon. I just want to go home and cook something and veg out. That's all I want to do. Totally. And it's great that you know that and run with it. Right. All right. So we're going to move into some rapid fire Q&A. The best advice that's helped your business. Trust yourself. Three things that you're currently loving. Um... My Chemex, I think having a little bit of coffee in the morning is important, but it's also the ritual. My my sunscreen, Elta MD sunscreen, I love it, love it, love it. And I'm reading a great book right now called The School for Good Mothers. Favorite words to live by? Love thy neighbor. What's your signature recipe or go-to dish? Ooh, probably something comforting like kimchi fried rice, my favorite things, just because it's like packed with so many good things. But I also will make it for someone as like a kind of a a symbol of love more than anything, because it's so comforting to me. It's like a big warm hug. (laughs) (laughs) 
What's one thing you wish more people knew about you? Um, I like to sing. I may not be super good at it, but I, I do enjoy playing the piano, singing, just some musical things that I, I don't get the chance and opportunity to do much of these days, but um, I grew up loving it and I try and find time to do it when I can. Favorite material kitchen moment? I think the early days, you know, those those first couple of months when no one knows anything about anything. <laughs> you know, there's something about pre-launch that I just will always love. And it's, I think it's the possibility of what could come um, and not knowing. And it's still so, it's like a secret. It's like a little secret that you're holding on to. And I just, um, it was such a, it was such a beautiful time. And I, I, I really look back on it so fondly. And lastly, what's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Sleep. I know we talked about it before, but yeah. Do you have any tips on getting the sleep? Or? Oh, I'm like, oh, I am probably one of those people that are envied in that I can fall asleep anywhere and in any circumstance. Oh, um, that's definitely envious. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think for me, it's um, no devices for sure. And I don't know. I always, this sounds maybe a little cheesy, but I think about things that I'm really grateful for before I go to bed. And for some reason it takes the anxious thoughts completely away. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing, I'm not thinking about a to-do list or what tomorrow is going to be about. I just kind of reflect on the things that I'm, that I'm really happy about or, or grateful for. And, um, it lulls me into a very pleasant sleep. So <laughs> I love that. So in closing, what is next for you and from Material Kitchen? So many things. We are launching a uh, new collection this summer called Material Objects, which I'm really excited about. And our first object is dropping this summer and then the second one this fall. And it just go back goes back to the idea and premise that objects can symbolize or have meaning in your life and creating objects that can hopefully inspire that connection point in the kitchen is something that I just, I find so exhilarating as a design goal. And that's something that we're launching very shortly. We are also starting to expand into some different um, retail partnerships. So we will have a big one that we're launching this fall, which I'm really excited about. Just more material. Thank you. Just in other places that people can pick up and feel the weight of the knife and just, you know, feel the things in their hand, I think really matters. And then other than that, I mean, I'm just, I'm so happy to be traveling again. We just got back from this amazing family trip to Korea. And I just love being able to take the girls on different trips and have them experience different cultures and flavors and foods and all of that. And I'm really excited to do a little bit more of that this summer. So yeah, I just, I'm very hopeful. I think that's, that's the thing that is um, exciting as our team has been growing and opportunities have been expansive, just very, very hopeful for all that's to come. Amazing. Well, wishing you the absolute best. Thank you so much for coming on today. And in closing, where can everybody find you at Material Kitchen? Yeah. So we are materialkitchen.com or on Instagram um, and TikTok at Material Kitchen. Um, So definitely check us out and yeah, just talk to us. We love, love, love being in communication with, with everyone in our community. Wonderful. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. 
I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.